Uh, life ain't perfect. Take me, for example. Now, look, I know preachers often get the question, why are you always talking about yourself? So as I proceed to talk about myself here for a few minutes and point out all of my many flaws, please consider how awful this would be if I was using you as the example. <laughs> right? And everybody said, <laughs> you're like, not me, Lord. Okay, so life ain't perfect. Take me, for example. I have all my hair, but it's mostly gray. Just kind of happened over the last 10 years. My family keeps pointing out. They're like, Dad, you're so gray. I'm like, thank you for reminding me. I have kind of sparkly blue eyes, but they're a little small. I don't have those perfect Disney eyes. You know, well, my wife and my daughter have those perfect Disney eyes. I don't have those perfect Disney eyes. They're nice sparkly blue eyes, but they're kind of small. I have nice straight teeth, but they're veneers. Did you know these six? Untasty, ha, high six. I call it my Harley Davidson. That's how much it costs. It's depressing. And Sarah and Jordan's braces are my other sailboat. That's how much that costs. It's crazy. So I got nice straight teeth, but they're veneers. And it's funny, I didn't plan it this way, but you'll see as we go through it that they're kind of broken into categories. The first are personal. The second have to do with personality. And the third have to do with life circumstance. Physical, personality, life circumstance. Didn't plan it this way. I just noticed this morning, actually, when I was working it over, I was like, wait a minute, there's a symmetry here that I didn't plan. Maybe the Lord's involved. I'm pretty smart, but that can lead to arrogance, especially when I was 28. I often say to people, you should have seen me 15 years ago, right? I'm pretty smart, but that can make me proud. I'm uh, fairly confident, but that can make me bulldoze people. I'm often told, you know, you just bulldoze that person. I was like, really? I didn't even notice. I often go back and apologize. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I had no idea. I'm fairly strong, but I can bulldoze people. I'm focused, but that can seem cold. Are you seeing yourself in any of these examples? Hopefully, that's the point. I'm focused, but that can make me seem cold. Like, I'm not really interested in you because I'm focused on the goal. Life circumstance. I love my wife. She's here in second service, so you'll get the best sermon today because she's here. You guys want to know, like, follow Nikki wherever she goes. She's like the Holy Spirit. She's everywhere present with me, and I preach good because of her. I love, I love my wife, but maintaining a happy marriage is constant work. Constant work. She would say the same thing. We're happy, real happy. Happiest people I know, in fact. But it takes constant work. I love, I love my kids. I could, I could eat them. I could squeeze. I love my kids. But they take all my money, and they mess up my house. Like my house is just gross. It's terrible. My kids go away and we're like, let's clean. And it's amazing. It stays clean the whole time they're gone. It's crazy. I love my kids. I do. I really, I, they mess up my house. My golden retriever is the friendliest creature on earth, but he will not leave me alone. Come to my house sometime. The dog is always on my hip. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know, he's like, oh, I love you, master. I know you love me, and maybe now you will give me meat. Not now, later. He just won't leave me alone. My life's not perfect. How about you? Did you see yourself reflected in some of those examples? Veneers or no? Gray hair or no? I'm willing to bet that, like me, there's a lot more of you in Genesis 31 than you'd like to admit. Let's take a look. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Lavan were saying... Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. 
And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I'll be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Lavan is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All of the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property he had gained, the livestock and his possessions he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Lavan had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Lavan the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Lavan on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Lavan the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Lavan overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Lavan with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead also. And Lavan said to Jacob, What have you done? You've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Lavan, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have taken that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Lavan went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went into Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. And now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel saddle and sat on them. Lavan felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Clever girl. Then Jacob became angry and berated Lavan. Jacob said to Lavan, What's my offense? What is my have sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I've not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or taken by night. There I was by day. The heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your daughters and six years for your flocks, and you've changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Yitzchak had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. 
Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took up a stone and set it as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. They took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Lavan called it Yagar Sadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Lavan said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he called it Galid and Mitzpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, God is witness between you and me. Then Lavan said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered up a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Lavan arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Lavan departed and returned home. Genesis 31. Thesis statement, life ain't perfect, but God sees you. A little simpler than last week. Life ain't perfect, but God sees you. So here in Genesis 31, we have some things to do and some things not to do as you learn to live a beautifully imperfect life. Got that? As you learn to live a beautifully imperfect life, here's some things to do and not to do. Number one. Don't get too comfortable because things are going to change. This is what happens in verses 1 and 2. Jacob notices that all of a sudden his father-in-law, with whom he's been living and serving for 20 years, all of a sudden doesn't like him anymore. Things have changed. And obviously, he used to like him. Otherwise, why would Jacob point out that he doesn't regard me with favor like he used to? Things have changed. Why have things changed? Because jealousy, envy, comparison... And the love of prosperity at the cost of other people have entered into their relational equation. Okay, that's why things have changed. Those four stress points. Jealousy, envy, comparison, the love of prosperity at the cost of others. These things showed up in Jacob's life. These things will always show up in our lives. And often when they show up in our lives, they will do so divisively. So the key teachable point here is this. Don't put your trust in people Because people change. Put your trust in God. God shows up in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Don't trust in man, trust in the Lord. Trust in God. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Notice the three things that happen here in verse 3. Okay, look at it for yourself. What happens here? God speaks. First thing, right? The Lord said. God speaks. Then what does the the Lord do? He commands. He sends. He says, go. The Lord speaks. The Lord sends. And then what does He do? He promises togetherness, and I will be with you. God speaks. God sends. God promises to be with you. And of course, as Jesus people, we know, believe, and stand on the fact that the ultimate expression of Emmanuel, of with us God, God with us, is found in Jesus Christ, the God-man. Right? The person who changed it all when God the Son took on flesh and became the man Jesus. Fully God and fully man who lived here in space-time for reals. Who perfectly fulfilled his Father's will, who never sinned once. Who reached out to the downtrodden, the oppressed, and the outcast. He was always healing people everywhere he went. I've been in the Gospels in my own personal Bible study these last four months. 
And I'm just astonished. In fact, I was kind of rebuked that there's not as much healing in our church as there should be because everywhere Jesus went, everybody was getting healed. So I started praying back in July. I'm like, Lord, let healing break out in our church. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. Everyone, he healed people. He preached the good news. He told everyone the kingdom of God had come in him. He said audacious things like he and the Father were one. Claiming Godhood itself. And of course, that's what got him in trouble with the Jewish authorities who couldn't tolerate this kind of blasphemer, let alone one who was drawing a crowd that was beginning to shape the country in ways that they were totally uncomfortable with. And so what happens? They manipulate the Romans, and the Romans, of course, doing something that God the Father had ordained, lead him to a Roman cross where he is hung between two thieves. Why? So that as he hangs there, God the Son made flesh, the Father would place on him your sin and mine. So that this good man, this God-man, Jesus Christ, would bear the penalty for your sin and mine. The death that we ought to die because we are relentless sinners, always doing the wrong thing. Oh, right? Is it just me? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. It's you too, right? Always. It's like we're like the Apostle Paul. The things we don't want to do, we do. The things we want to do, we don't do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Miserable man that I am, right? You're not the only one. And so Jesus Christ died the death you should have died. Your sin was placed upon his shoulders, and he bore the penalty for it. But because he was God the Son, he did not stay dead. But the third day he arose again to life victorious over the power of Satan's sin, death, and hell forever. He appeared to his friends. He ate food. He's still really, really real, but he's still really, really God. In fact, to seal it, he ascends right in front of their eyes to his father's right hand where he sits down in victory. What's he doing there? He's interceding for you. What does that mean? He's your cheering section. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because you matter to him. Why? Because he made you to be his friend forever, so he cares. And he's going to get up again from that chair one day to return again in glory to do what? To judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end, a kingdom in which you have a place. He will bring your home to you. And he will look you in the eye and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Jesus Christ became a man. God the Son became a man. So that you could be restored to right relationship with his Father. So you see, even when people change, even when life gets complicated, point number two, you can trust God. You can go when he says go. And you can rely on his promise of togetherness. Amen? You see, the story is ultimately about how God's story, hear it, intersects with yours. So what's happened in verses 4 through 13? Things have taken a turn for the worse for Jacob. It's like things used to be good. We were prospering. Your dad loved me. Now he doesn't. Your brothers, they hate me. Your dad's always cheating me. Everything I do, he undermines me. You ever felt that way? No matter what you do, you can't catch a break? Life is hard. If your life is hard, I just want you to take such comfort from today's text. Because you're not the first one, and you won't be the last. But, verse 5, the God of my father has been with me. You know what your less than perfect life needs? It just needs Jesus. (laughs) It just needs Jesus. And you need to realize that he's in charge. 
Verse 7, but God did not permit him to harm me. Isn't that awesome? Lavan had nothing but ill will for Jacob, but God did not permit him to harm him. Here's something difficult. It made me shudder just to write it. It makes me shudder to preach it. I hardly believe it. Like, hardly. Like, like by the skin of my teeth. What has happened in your life, God has allowed. And you're like, even the awful tragedy that almost destroyed me? The operative word is almost. If you're here to ask why, you already have your answer. God has been with you. Do you see? If you're here to ask why, you weren't utterly destroyed. You weren't snuffed out. What's beautiful about following Jesus is that even when someone dies in faith, it's a win. Isn't it, from God's perspective, if he's made you to be his friend forever? When you leave this life and enter into his presence, do you think he's sad about it? No. When someone we love leaves this life and enters into his presence, do you think they're sad about it? Also no. Why do bad things happen to good people? 2 Corinthians 4 might help. Listen to this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Why do bad things happen to good people? And let's put good people in big parentheses. Because we all know there's no such thing as a good person, but for the sake of the question that everyone asks, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, if they're Jesus people, God allows bad things to happen to them so that when they survive it, when they survive it, everyone will see and know that it was the life of Jesus that gave you life. Yea, though you walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Your suffering and the way in which God helps you survive that suffering is all the evidence an unbelieving world needs that God is real. This is why the scriptures tell us that it is a privilege to enter into Christ's sufferings. And yes, it makes me afraid. And yes, I hate to preach it because I'm like, Lord, I've suffered enough. I don't want to suffer anymore. Thank you very much. And God just rubs his godly belly and laughs at me. It says, ho, 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 ho. We'll see. (laughs) Right? It's awful, and it's beautiful. It utterly confounds the world when someone is struck down but not destroyed. It utterly confounds the world and confronted with that undeniably miraculous reality of a Christian who is happy even though they're sad. More and more of your friends, family, and peers will taste and see that the Lord is good, and some of them will move from death to life. Remember, your life ain't perfect. Oh, I'm just... Your life ain't perfect, but it's beautiful. 
Because beautiful Jesus is at work in you and through you. He is the God of Bethel, verse 13, the house of God, and you are his friend. So, point number three, as you learn to live a beautifully imperfect life, do what he says. This is what happens in verses 14 through 21. He does what God says. I love that he gathers his wives for a conference. God speaks to him. He's like, let's go to my place of business because we got to talk. He tells them what's happened. And he's asking them for their opinion. This is beautiful in like a crazily patriarchal society. I love that the first two people he goes to are his sweet wives. What should I do? And they say in verse 16b, whatever God has said to you, do. That's words to live by. Am I right? Whatever God has said to you, do it. And let's keep in mind that we will always live by them imperfectly, exactly like Rachel the fool. You're like, Rachel the what? Verse 19. And Rachel stole her father's household gods. (laughs) You ought to smile at this. It's just hilarious. It's just like you and me. See, God has blessed her husband. She's seen it, right? She knows. She's seen her husband prosper. She's just been told by her husband that God is talking to her husband. So she's seen the hand of God at work in her husband's life and in her life. She's been told that God's talking to her husband and she's believed it. She's told, how do we know she believed it? Because she told her husband to do what God said to do. And I'm just going to go grab these here idols right quick just in case. (laughs) And everyone who ever hedged their bets said, help me Jesus. (laughs) But I'm going to hold on to my job. But I'm going to hold on to my investments. But I'm going to hold on to my security. But I'm going to hold on to what I'm good at. But... (laughs) Do you see yourself in the text, friend? Oh, Lord. Quick, grab the household gods. Even saints ain't perfect. So as we seek to live a beautifully imperfect life, let's embrace the fact, very importantly, in ourselves and in others, that we're always going to do this, even this, imperfectly. So I have a question for you. Can you love, love me even with my veneers? Can you love me with my gray hair? What about if my soul is gray? What about in eight years I go through a really difficult time and I'm still pastoring this church and you can tell that something's not right? Will you love me when my soul is gray? Will you love one another? with your crooked teeth and your bent intentions and your twisted agendas and your insecurities, will you love one another? Let's be that beautiful church that is the exception to the rule. Let's be that beautiful church where everyone feels welcome. Or to borrow a common phrase, it's okay not to be okay. Shall we? Not at me if we shall. Shall we be that church? Let's be that church. And because we're all doing it imperfectly, um, point number four, just get going and keep moving forward. Yes, I'm quoting Disney. Keep moving forward. This is what happens in verse 21. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. 
Like his grandfather and his father before him, Jacob is a traveler. In fact, this route that he's taking back to Padan Aram mirrors the route that his grandfather Abraham took when God commanded him to leave his father's house and go to the land that I will show you. Don't miss it. Like his father and his grandfather, Jacob is a traveler. You have not been called to stay. You have been called to go. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. First Chronicles 29.15. And if you're like, that's Old Testament. Can I get some New Testament, please? Yes, you can. And the New Testament is even more difficult. And if you missed invocation, this is part of what you missed. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 15.19. So even if you end up living your beautifully imperfect life in one place, doing one thing, point number five, Live like heaven is your home, and you're on your way there. Even in stable Guelph, with all your stable jobs, okay, and your family orientation, I'm not hating on that. It's great. I kind of wish I was you. Third culture kid that I am, what, we're on house 17? Lord, help us understand your ways. Okay, I'm not saying stability is bad. I'm saying live your stable, organized life like heaven is your home, and that's where you're going. That way, when bad things happen, because they will, when they happen to you along the way, you'll be able to trust and know and wait for God to step in. Which is what happens in verses 38 through 42. Watch this. Jacob kind of freaks out. These, uh, I might get a little intense here because I believe Jacob was feeling a little intense here. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I've not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or taken by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. 20 years of frustration pour out of Jacob in a moment. You ever felt frustrated? You ever felt frustrated for 20 years? I can relate to that. Even if you've been frustrated for 20 years, you're not the only one. And you cannot lose hope because, verse 42c, God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands. God sees you. He sees your affliction, that thing that is not your fault, and he sees your godly response, the labor that you do. Even though you are afflicted, God sees you. You want to find strength to live a beautifully imperfect life? Remember that God sees you. So all your fears and frustration about legacy and provision, which is essentially what Levan and Jacob are fighting about here, All these fears and pressures shouldn't cause you to lose any sleep. Why? Because God is watching. Worship team, I'm done. You can join me on stage. This is going to be good. This is going to be a great close to the service. Ooh, I feel it. Okay? God is watching. How do we know? Verse 48 and 49. Therefore, he called it mitzpah, for he said, the Lord watched between you and me. You know what mitzpah is? Literally, watchtower. 
Watchtower. Yeah, I was going to play all along the Watchtower as like the closing song today. But I thought some Jimi Hendrix might be a bit too much for some of y'all. So I picked something else. He calls it Watchtower because God is watching. And God is involved. He's so involved, in fact, uh, he's like bread in your belly. Verse 54. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and he called his kinsmen to eat bread. And I'm really sorry, but I'm too much of a gospel preacher to read... um, sacrifice and bread in the same sentence and not have my mind go to one place? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Tell me that won't preach good. Sacrifice and bread work. Gospel people, we see sacrifice and bread, and we think Jesus. John 6, 35. You want to live a beautifully imperfect life? One, don't get too comfortable. Two, trust God. Go when he says go. Rely on his promises of togetherness. Three, do what he says. Four, keep moving forward. Five, live like heaven is your home and you're on your way there. Six, remember that God sees you. And seven, get some bread in your belly. Get some bread in your belly. Because life ain't perfect, but God sees you, and he's the bread of life.